Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to uh, a new section we're going to be looking at uh, this week. Turn to Luke 1, what might be a very familiar passage to you as we look at uh, the Advent season. Looking at uh, the light coming into the darkness of our lives as it was first expressed in the birth of Jesus. Luke 1, uh, starting in verse 26. Follow along if you can, and I'll read it out loud. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for your word. Thank you for the, the work that you've done in the lives of those who've gone before us. And I pray that this morning you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you intend to do uh, and, 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 to, and to be enthralled with what you have already done in the, in the work of your, the coming of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard a story this week about a man who, when he was younger, uh, uh, was had a real exceptional gift for baseball his whole life. Uh, was a shortstop, had, you know, apparently had great speed in the field, range, you know, of motion, sort of, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, a rocket arm, and then, you know, uh, really great uh, batting, you know, could really hit the ball as well. So to sort of, you know, um, uh, you know the, tr- the triple threat, you know, fielding, throwing, hitting. And he, was, and he was being recruited for colleges and was going to be, you know, was already leaning into the minor leagues and was already sort of high prospect to, do, to make it in the pros. And so, uh, and so he, you know, he takes one of the scholarships and goes to, goes to school. Um, and in his first semester, as the, as the story goes that I'm hearing, 
in his first semester of school, he's at the athlete's sort of buffet where, you know, it's typical if you, when you go to college, you get the meal plan and you go to the, you go to the buffet. And he says, he says that he was reaching for a tomato across the, to, uh, across the buffet and slipped on something underneath the table, which caused his back leg to sort of twist out of joint, and he blew out his knee. And in the 1940s, when this happened, he, the surgeries didn't exist to, re, to, 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 uh, re, to replace knees, didn't exist to, uh, to mend the broken thing that whatever it was, I don't know whether it was an ACL tear or whatever happened. But he says, from that minute forward, when I slipped reaching for a tomato in the college, uh, in the college cafeteria, my life changed. That guy's actually a pastor in the PCA. His name's R.C. Sproul. I don't know if you know, he's a, he's a, he's a prolific writer, prolific uh, gospel preacher, seminary professor, uh, you know, an amazing teacher, and was a, was a man that had great influence even in my understanding of theology. Didn't have any clue that he was expected to be a, he could have been a, he could have been a, 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 a professional baseball player. And at the time, that's where his life was headed until he slipped reaching for a tomato and his life changed dramatically with one instance. Because after that, he pursued the other love that he discovered in his life, which was the, an understanding of explaining the intricacies and immensities of the Word of God to the people around him. And he has changed the landscape of Christianity in some respects across, uh, across the world in some ways. Um, I tell that story because here's an instance where you have a, you've got, you know, a teenage girl. Uh, and most, of the, most of the time, uh, uh, people in, in this day and age were in, would be engaged. And we see in this story that she was betrothed. She was engaged to a man named Joseph in, in the town. That they were going to be married. They were, they were uh, and that was generally going to happen at, for, for women, generally in, you know, uh, adolescence at some level. So she's a teenage girl. And here comes this, incidents in her life which changed her life all of every part of her life changed from this moment forward everything all of her hopes and dreams all of her desires all of the direction that she may have been wanting to go was going to dramatically change because of christmas because of the of the coming of jesus into her into her world, and so when I look at this, uh, it, it, it impacts it impacts us because because Christmas comes. There's a lot about Christmas that is just so that is just so difficult to understand, and that, and that and that can sometimes get in the way of our of our enjoying it, as it were. In this story, in this in this moment in the life of Mary, there are there are a number of things, a couple of things that I want us to you know sort of focus on, and that, and that Christmas. Uh, Christmas breaks in whether you like it or not. Number two, Christmas brings gifts rather than requiring work. And number three, Christmas produces uh, an, an amazing vulnerability and surrender when you really understand it. When you see in this instance... Um, you know, and uh, Christmas breaks in whether you like it or not. That, that's true even today. Christmas is coming whether you like it or not. 
And here we are all in the midst of it. And some of us like it more than others. And some of us are ready for it more than others. And some of us get excited and some of us don't. And some of us dread it. And some of us can't wait for the 26th to get here and get the tree out and get life back to normal. Um, But it comes and it breaks in even. And in Mary's case, Christmas breaks in she wasn't looking for this. She wasn't praying, God, change my life. God, give me a blessing. God, come and do something with me. God, show me what you want. Mary was, there's, no, there's no, nothing in the text that suggests that Mary was looking for this. Christmas, the grace of God, the interaction, the, the person of Jesus comes, comes even when we're not searching for it. it and it disrupts Christianity, Grace of God, Christmas, it always, it always disrupts. It has its own power to change. The, you know, uh, it, when Christmas, uh, when the Advent comes, when Jesus comes, when, when, the, when the grace of God enters our lives, it comes um, powerfully and, it, and, and, with, and with a changing, with, with, a, with, a, with the ability to change us into things we never could have imagined. Mary, in this instance, everything the angel told her was completely outside of her realm of understanding. As a matter of fact, when, when uh, Christianity comes, when the grace of God, when Christmas comes, it comes, uh, it disrupts, it comes, it breaks into a, re- you know, her life was fine, as it were, She wasn't, you know, she was a woman, a a standard, regular, average, everyday teenage woman. Her life was going in a beautiful way. She was probably had some level of respectability in the community. And she she didn't, there wasn't a sort of outward expression of where she needed Jesus. You know how you you look around in the culture and you see people who had various strains of of life, various difficulties, and they go, and, and our answer to that is often, well, they need Jesus. And we go, well, everybody needs Jesus. Yeah, well, everybody needs Jesus, but oh, they really need Jesus. But there's some who you look at and you, you know, it's not our first response when you look at Mary and Joseph. They're just a young couple in the, in the, in the, in the formative years of their lives. It's not like they needed Jesus, but, but the grace of God comes in and, and solves problems we didn't even know we had. Disrupts our lives in places where we didn't, you know, there, there's, I heard a sermon recently where it talked about how the Holy Spirit one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, one of the jobs that God gives, uh, uh, one of the jobs that God has, that the Father has for the Holy Spirit is to come in and, and I love this word, meddle in our affairs. You like meddlers? You like anybody meddling with your stuff? I have a child who, as they were growing up, they, they kept their room impeccably clean. And I know you might love a child like that, um, uh, there's a, there are downsides to impeccable clean children and impeccably clean ordered people because uh, it wasn't just the clean, it was the order. Um, and, even, and even impeccably ordered such that not outwardly you go in is fine, but we as parents, we have to, we have to get in the drawers. We're putting things away. So you open the drawer, impeccable order. I needed a phone charger one day. I happen to know that this child had one in her upper drawer 
of her desk. I went in and I got, I got it out, charged my phone and put it back all before she got home from school. Had she been there, I'd have asked. That's what you do. She wasn't there, I didn't ask. Got my phone, charged it up, put it back, came home. She gets home, comes downstairs. Who was in my desk? I was. What were you doing in my stuff? I go, well, I needed the thing. I go, and how in the heck did you know? She said, well, it wasn't where I put it. I almost, I was certain I put it back where it was supposed to go. But it was probably that the plug wasn't turned the right way or something. I don't understand it. But I was meddling with her affairs. I was unsettling her order. I was, and, and, that, and that appropriately causes a response. It, it appropriately, in her life, it, she should be asking those questions. When the order of her life, when someone's meddled with her things, it's appropriate to ask a question, to, en, to engage this, this situation. And when Mary's life is meddled with, it brings questions. She's got a lot of questions when it comes to this. You know, first of all, it says in, in the early sections, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered. Okay, so she's troubled but wondering. She's, she's, she's got this sense of wonder. We call our Christmas Eve service every year. Uh, uh, the, 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 the wonder of Christmas. It, we want people to come and experience the wonder of what this season is and, and, to, and to discover not only in its wonder to, to, be, to, to, be, to linger in the wonder of it, but to discover that it's wonderful. And Mary was, Mary was in a state of wonder, but in, also in a state of trouble. Someone's, someone's meddling in my affairs. Some, somehow this is, tr- this is troubling me, and, uh, but yet I'm also, I'm, uh, Mary is, is sort of captivated by this moment. It's almost as if, you know, you remember this, there's a story that I tell often in Luke chapter 5 where, where Peter is in the boat and Jesus has just used his boat as a sermon, uh, as, a, as a pulpit, so the people on the shore can hear his sermon. And it says that when Peter was done, that, or when Jesus was done, he told him to go out fishing, and, and, and he caught such a large amount of fish that they couldn't get it to shore without another boat helping them. And it says when Peter caught this large amount of fish, it says in, this, in the passage, Luke that he grabbed Jesus around the ankles and says, go away from me, Lord. Does that sound counterintuitive to you? Troubled, but wondering. Something, something troubling. Something has, something has uh, uh, trembled the center of me, but, I, there, but it's trembled the center of me and makes me uneasy, but it also, I want it. It's magnetically repulsive. <laughs> I want it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with amazement, but I'm also, because this miraculous catch of fish in Peter's life was something, it was unreasonable, it was out of the ordinary, it was, it was overwhelming in a sense, and, and Peter is struck what troubled his soul was, I am, I am a sinful man. If he, if he knew who I am, he's not going to want me, but I desperately want him. Somehow these two things have to go together, and Jesus says to him, same thing the angel said to Mary. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because what's troubling you is not disqualifying you. 
what's troubling you. And so when the grace of God, when Christmas, when the, when, the, when the reality of Jesus comes into your life, when God begins to meddle in your heart and in your stuff and, 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 and cause tremors of, of unease in your life about, about the way that he's going to, what he's going to ask you to do, how, how, he, how he sees the vulnerability of you, that what he's going to say to you is the same thing he says to Mary, is don't be afraid. The things that you know about yourself, the things that you think disqualify you, don't disqualify you for what you are amazed by. I'm meddling for your health. I'm meddling for your greatness. I'm meddling to make you better. That's how grace breaks in. But it, it should cause questions. And Mary's questions rise up. She's troubled. And, and, the, and, and, the, and he says, the, the angel says to her, uh, God's going to do something with you. He says a number of things. He said, the first thing he says, you are favored. You are greatly favored. Another translation puts it this way that's, that's probably a little more literal from the, from the original Greek is that it says that God has placed his favor upon you. You have found favor with God. The, the second thing that we notice about Christmas is that Christmas brings the gift of favor. It doesn't require favor. It doesn't require, you know, gift. Favor is received. It's not achieved. The favor of God is, a, is received by us, not achieved by us. And often people look at Mary as being somehow, they, they see this passage and think somehow she was holier than everyone else. And then out of that idea, we've developed over the history of the church a whole theology of how Mary was this, was this amazingly, you know, uh, perf perfectly, almost godlike figure in humanity. Radically wrong understanding. It, and, the, and the way we get to that, the way that that occurs is we see, oh, it says that you are favored. Now, now, how does someone get favored? Well, there's two ways to get favored. You can, you can earn it or you can get it given to you. How do you favor your children? Do they earn it? Or do you just, you just like them? You're just in favor of them. Just, you know, from the minute you bring him home, you know, remember, you know, bringing home our first child, he's laying in bed, and we just go in there and watch him breathe. I just, like, I just favor him. I just, it's just, I just I'm just captivated by him. I just, you know, makes me, makes me just want to sing. Just want, you know, sing about him. And I did sing about him. Not right then, because he's sleeping. But when he's awake, Sang all kinds of songs. Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest. Teddy bear song. Opera songs that we made up words to. Because I just love him. But when we read this passage, we think Mary might have been favored because of what she did. That's a very humanistic, that's a very human-centered version of that passage. That's put, you know, there's nothing here that says Mary earned it. We don't know anything about Mary till this passage, and suddenly the angel shows up and says, you found favor. We, we don't, well, Mary hasn't done anything. But you know who has done something? God. And he sent an angel. He says, God sent his angel Gabriel. 
to Mary to tell her something, to tell her something. God, God sent his angel, Gabriel, to Mary to say, when you get to Mary, tell her something. Tell her that I favor her. I'm placing my favor on her. Not because of anything she's done, but because she's my daughter, because she, she's my pride and joy, because I sing songs about her. I favor her. And that's an important process is because that's the whole essence of what the gospel is. The gospel is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, giving, giving favor to people who don't deserve it and haven't earned it. Giving them, giving them his grace. Grace, by definition, unmerited favor. It is un, unqualified favor. You are, we are getting the grace of God. He is, he is giving us his acceptance. He is, give, he is calling us the same, the same thing that he says of his son at his baptism. Jesus is baptized. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's the same characterization he gives to all of his children. I'm ple- I'm ple- what does God think of his children right this minute? Right this minute, what does God think of you as you are his child? He thinks that he's pleased with you. Not because of anything you've done, but because he's placed his favor on you because of the work of Jesus, because Jesus has earned that favor at the cross. That's why he's going to save his people from their sins. This is the nature, Yeshua. You're going to call him Yeshua, the original Greek of Jesus. You're going to call him Yeshua, Savior. That's what Yeshua means. He's going to save people. Save them from themselves. Save them from the condemnation of their sin. He's going to get for them something they haven't deserved. He's going to do what they can't do for themselves. Great, wonderful day, beautiful thing. And, and, And Mary, I'm giving you that favor in advance. I'm giving you my favor in advance. And the and the angel, just to be clear. I love, how, I love how this is. The angel tells her that twice before he does anything else. Right up front. He says, you found favor with God. And she's like, wait a minute. That's troubling, but it's also interesting. It's also amazing. I found favor with God. What, is that, what could that possibly mean? So her heart, by, by, being, told, by being told by the angel that you are favored it, that favor causes a sense of captivation, but also a sense of overwhelm. What does it mean to be favored by God? That's, that's troubling. Yes. It shakes at the foundations of who we are. But it shakes us at the foundations of who we are because if, if, if I am favored by God, if I am favored, if you are favored by God, what, what amazing capability. What, what, it's, like, it's like a credit card with no limit and no bills. I mean, you know, people have black credit cards and gold credit cards. I mean, whatever credit card you had. But you, you still get the bills, don't you? My credit lit's $100. $100,000. My credit limit's $500,000. I can buy, you know, that. great, but you got to pay the bill. Jeez, it, being favored by God, the, the, the intrigue of that is that if I'm favored by God, if you're favored by God, now, what does that mean at the level of, of there's 
there's a troubling part of it, but there's also this wonderful part of it. Like, what does it mean? What could it, what could it possibly mean? What power, what opportunity, what, what experiences, what grace, what, what thrill must that be to be favored by God? I could, if you knew, I had a friend ask me this years and years ago. He says, Drew, what would you attempt if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you attempt in your life, practically speaking? What, what would you attempt if you knew you couldn't fail? That's almost like what favor from God offers us. The favor of God is to say, God is for you. He's not against you. God is smoothing the paths for you. He's lowering the mountains and he's raising the valleys for you. He's, he's adjusting the course of human history for the, for the sake of his kingdom, but for you, he's given you all, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Workmanship, masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. He is bringing all his resources to your life as if to say, I favor you and I want you to be a blessing and I want you, your greatness. I want you to pro be pros prosperous and successful the Old Testament says that, I, that my life is, I, I, my plans for you are not to harm you, but to give you a future, give you hope and a future to, pro, to prosper you and to make you successful. So what, so it's almost as if God's saying, attempt everything and you will not fail. I give you all of my resources. Do and live and you are, I am, I, I am disposed towards you. Step into risk, step into greatness, step into the wonders that I have for you, and you'll never fail. Nothing you do fails. It always builds. It always changes. It always makes you better. Everything. And, and I guarantee it with the life of my son. I guarantee it. I sign that contract. I promise that to you. Signed in blood. That's how much he's predisposed towards his children. Favor. And it's very, it's very counter. It's hard to believe. It's very counter, though. It's very counter to what Christmas is. You know? Christmas is all about better be good for goodness sake, right? Santa Claus is coming. Oh, boy, he's coming. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Better be good for goodness sake. That's, that's not favor that's given. That's favor that's earned. It's tragic. Makes for great stories, I guess. Makes for a delightful tale, I guess, if you like strange old bearded men looking at you when you're sleeping. I, but that's not Christianity. Christianity and the grace of God is favor that's not deserved. It's almost, it's, it's almost like the grace of God is more displayed at Halloween than it is at Christmas. Because what does Halloween say? Halloween says, you can come to the door dressed, looking as deathly or as ugly or as horrified as you wish, and I'll still give you candy. I'll still be gracious to you no matter how much how wrong you are. 
the favor of God comes in and says, I am for you and, I and for your success and for your future and for your beauty and step out in grace. You cannot fail. Everything, uh, everything you endeavor to accomplish for me and for your life will succeed at your benefit, even, even if outwardly you fail. Now, Mary then, with that favor, God says, and she has, she has questions, how can this be? With, with that, he says, with the favor comes, comes this, comes this uh, 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 um, uh, mission. You're, you're, you're going to be favored, and I'm going to, you're going to be, you're going to be the, 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 the womb. You're going to be the, the, the means through which Jesus comes into this world. And Mary immediately goes, that's interesting. Uh, and, he, and the angel entertains her questions. That when, grace, when grace jumps in, when grace disrupts, when, 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 the, when the gospel comes into our lives, there are places that don't make sense because infinity, the infinite God beyond our comprehension is entering into our experience and we only have a thimble's size brain. And so if we have questions because all of that immensity can't fit into the thimble, okay, yes, questions are necessary. Questions are acceptable. And that's why we, intent, we hope to be a place. We, we love to be a place where questions are encouraged. The angel is a place where questions are encouraged. He even answers the question because sometimes questions can't be answered. Sometimes, sometimes God says to, the, says to the person asking the question, you don't understand, just trust me for a while. Trust me, I know, you don't, but you will, you'll get it. And he says to her, this isn't about you and what you can do. Of course, of course you can't have a child. You're a virgin. Of course, it may, the fact that you aren't, that, you're, that he's saying you're going to have a child and yet you're a virgin, that, does, that makes, doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not possible to be done, but it's not going to be what you do. It's going to be what I do. It's going to be what the, the Spirit of God does, that God is going to, God is going to uh, engage you in this process. Now, that, now, what that involved, however, for her... When the grace of God came into her life in this way, it took her from a young girl whose life was pretty much normal and was pretty much on track to a life that was going to take, an, take a radical term of, uh, turn for rejection and shame. She was going to be a single mom without a baby daddy. And in that culture, it would have meant her utter rejection from her standard people. It would have placed her at risk. And Joseph, in the other story that we see in Joseph's situation, when he gets told, when he gets told the, good, the good news... It's good, it, it's good news. It's uber, uber good news. Specific, maybe not so good news. You're, the woman you're betrayed, don't worry. Nothing strange has happened. Everything's on the up and up. All is well. She's going to have a child. I'm going to do that. And don't be afraid. And Joseph was thinking, I'll just, I'll just, I don't want to make a thing of it. 
I'll just put her aside. We'll just live through it. I'll live through the shame. We'll move on with our lives, and hopefully things will be fine. But no, the angel says, I want you to take her into your life. And so now Joseph is having hit the shame that comes into his life because now he's raising a child that, that everyone thinks is not his. Now, is there any legitimate reason to be ashamed? Is there any legitimate shame here? Not legitimate shame, no, because it's an immaculate conception. It is a, it's a, it, God, God intervened in miraculous ways. Can a child be born to a virgin? Well, happened once, yes, it can. So all is well. There's no immorality. There's no sense of shame. There's nothing to feel guilty about. But nobody else knows that, and nobody else believes that. Nobody else in their community understood that. Nobody else had that sense of things. And so she was going to be irrationally, unjustly shamed in her culture. And when, and when people start saying stuff about you, even if it's not right, even if it's not the truth, even if you know differently, how often does that voice penetrate, penetrate into your mind and into your heart, and then you start wondering if it's not true? And that's for stuff that's not true, because there's plenty of stuff about you that is shameful. There's plenty of stuff about Mary that is shameful. And it's interesting how one place of unjust shame can trigger a whole chain reaction of things that are actually shamefully wrong with you and me. That's a darkness that, that Adam and Eve could never, have, could never have dreamed. When they're just exploring a tree they thought was forbidden, for, they were told was forbidden fruit. They're just exploring this one thing, this place where they thought, and they were, t- they were tempted to believe that it would give them something God had been holding out on them. This is the, this is the th- God's holding out. He's given you all this, but he's holding out on you. And if you eat this tree, you'll get the thing he's holding out on you. That's what the devil told them. And they could never have imagined what God was keeping them from. I'm keeping you from one of the most deadly forces, the most deadly, most destructive aspects of sin in our world is shame. And, and the light of Christ comes into that darkness and answers that darkness. What would make a young girl be willing to walk that road. Not, it's not justified. I mean, even though in her heart, yes, there's shameful things. As we all have, if you're human, you've got shameful things. There's things you're embarrassed about. There's skeletons in your closet. There's stuff that's, that's, marred, your, that's marred your chalkboard. You've got, you've got a long list of things. And the gospel has come to free us from our guilt and shame. That's, that's how he wants us to live beyond that. But what helps her live past the shame? What helps her take on this mission? She says in the end, okay, may it be to me. I'm the Lord's servant. Do, do this unto me. Let it be true of me. I'll do this. I'm, for, I'm, I'm willing. What makes a, a young girl willing given that prospect? What makes her willing to step into it? When she was more, I'll tell you the, the secret to stepping into that mission, the, the secret to, to celebrating the intervention of God 
uh, in her life rather than, because there's two things here. That's a, that's a huge thing to ask. That's a huge thing that God's asking her to do. That's a lot, that feels really hard. That feels very dark. That feels very uncomfortable. That life that you're asking me to live is not one that I would ask, uh, that I would dream of. That's not, she, didn't, she didn't grow up dreaming of that life. Nobody grows up dreaming of that life of living through hardship, rejection, and shame in order to fulfill the grace of God in the world. What, what makes her be willing to step toward that huge thing? It is only when she's more aware of God's favor than she is of the hardship. When she is actually using the currency of God's favor in her life to pay the bill of the hardship. The hardship is the bill, the struggle, the difficulty, the, the vulnerability, the surrender, the sacrifice. But the, but the grace of God, the favor of God, that pays the bill. And when my life and when your life are captivated by the fact that something that should never have happened to you has happened, that God has freed you from all your guilt and shame, that God has taken all of your burden of, and, and he did it by, and here's, the, here's maybe the kicker that helps us discover new captivation. He did it by, be, he took away our brokenness by becoming breakable. The God who is a consuming fire became an infant. The most vulnerable, the most surrendered, the most at risk, the most breakable thing on the planet. God said, this is who I am. And I'm going to do that for you. Because I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. When that favor and the lengths to which he's willing to go throughout the course of human history and throughout the course of your own life, the lengths to which he's willing to go to display that favor, to show again and again that immensity of love, only when our lives are captivated, are, are wrapped around that, when that becomes a greater reality in my thinking than any hardship that, I, that it may require of me, any, any injustice, any sense of, of loss that may result in that experience. That what we are determining by faith, and this is, the, this is the distinction that faith is. This is what faith is saying. Faith in that says, I, by faith, am willing to let God determine my value that God is determining my value and my worth more than what people say about me. More than what my bank account says about me. More than what my influence says about me. Than my success says about me. Than my, than my desires or my wants and fears say about me. That I'm, I, by faith, and this is the choice that faith is, this is, this is the surrender that I am so convinced of the favor of God and, and, the, 
and overwhelmed by that favor that I'm going to, that I'm putting my faith in that favor to determine, to, to, to say of, of my heart, and sometimes this is a daily choice, a moment by moment experience where I'm determined to let God determine my worth and value. Not even me determines my value. Because sometimes, if not most times, you're your own worst enemy when it comes to your value. What's the largest voice in your head? What's potentially the, 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 the voice that's speaking louder? Are the people around you telling you you're a jerk? Probably not. Because if they're going to tell you that, they're going to do it behind your back anyway. But the voice in your head is your voice saying, you're a jerk, you're a failure, you're not worthy, you're incapable, you're never gonna make it, you don't deserve this, you're ugly, no one listens, no one cares, no one loves. Those are the voice, and you're the one, more than likely, you're the one with those, that's your voice. You're determining your own worth in those, in those words. And what, the, and what the gospel says is that the favor of God has, the favor of God has interrupted your life and meddled in your things so overwhelmingly that you by faith are saying, I'm no longer going to be the one that determines my value, but God will determine my value. And what does God say? How do you determine, if I'm gonna sell you my glasses, how much are these worth? Well, I'll tell you what I pay for them. That's what they're worth. But if you pay, and so they might be, they might be $50. If I, if I pay $50, but if I can get you to pay me $75, now what are they worth? They're worth $75. Because they're worth what you're willing to pay for them. What is God willing to pay for you? The person of his own son. He's willing to pay for you the most valuable thing he has. His son. That worth, if you and I cash it in a daily way, if we, if we transact on it in a daily moment-by-moment -moment way against the voices that are trying to tell me what I'm worth in this world, we become powerful, we become undaunting, we become hopeful, and we begin to celebrate in ways that are unconscious and and overwhelming in our lives and it's contagious that's what the grace of God does let's pray thank you Father thank you for your goodness thank you for giving us the favor we don't deserve and Father I pray that you would teach us how to transact on it in our lives day by day and helping each other transact upon it that you value us far more, that you favor us in greater ways than we imagine, that, that you have come to give us more than we, than we even, uh, uh, that we could ever even imagine. Father, I pray that as, we, as Christmas, as this season lingers, Lord, that we would linger upon those truths more and more and that it would lead us to the wonderful blessings and the great vulnerability and surrender that you, that you offer us in the person and work of Jesus. For his sake we pray.